Hey everyone, there's a new restaurant scam going on all because of a burger. Plus, the city of Houston is not backing down when it comes to food, not bombs. And there could be a major economic boom coming thanks to the Port of Houston. Producer Carleon Jones joins me to break down all the news that you might have missed. It's Tuesday, August 8, 2023. I'm Rahil Ramzanli, and here's what Houston's talking about. Carleon, what's up? First of all, before you even say a word, I just want to say thank you so much for holding it down while I was in Washington, D.C., enjoying our nation's history. So I appreciate it. Those are some good episodes. You and Dina are the best. So thank you again. Of course, of course. We got to let you have a vacation. Yeah. You deserve a vacation as hard as you work. <laughs> I don't know how much relaxing I got done because I ended up walking probably like 15 miles in one day. Oh, but my. Yeah, it was a lot of walking. But Okay, I respect your opinion in a lot of things, all right? Mm -hmm. I need your help. This has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, and we will be breaking down some important stories here shortly. My wife's birthday is coming up in two days. I don't have a present, of course, because I'm just that guy. I've been busy. I was out of town all last week. Come on, give me something good here. What should I get my wife for her birthday? Okay, first of all, you just went on a trip, so I feel like you should have brought something back from D.C. Let's start there. I did. I brought her back some coffee, which coffee. she loves. From one of our favorite, <laughs> yeah, it's from one of our favorite restaurants because she couldn't go on the trip because okay. of the baby. So I brought her back a, a bag of coffee that she really likes. Okay, so you brought back some type of souvenir. Okay, okay. Well, something you're you're, you're getting some points right there. <laughs> but I mean, at this point, I'm just gonna like tell you the thing that you would tell me: go to Etsy, go get something, okay. go get something with it, like a design put into it. That's what I did. The personalized stuff. Exactly, personalized is always great and better. So that's my tip. Man. Your boy's going to have to pay express shipping, though, and that's going to be a problem. (laughs) You got to do this ahead of time. I do. I do. All right. So a lot has happened over the weekend and Monday. So let's talk about some of the big stories that listeners might have missed. I want to start off with what you have. What's your big story that we need to talk about? Okay, so yesterday, if you listened in, we did a show about HISD and gave you all the updates on what's going on, right? But of course, over the weekend, more stuff comes out with HISD. And now Mike Miles is trying to get the board to increase the minimum purchasing threshold from $100,000 to get this, $2 million. $2 million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the current policy, any district purchase of at least $100,000 requires approval from the school board, which, you know, makes sense. But since Miles wants to kind of just create a faster, more efficient purchasing, he wants to get the threshold expanded. And I will say in this case, I kind of do understand where he's coming from. There's about 190,000 students in the district alone, and they have to regularly purchase things like Chromebooks and smart boards and all types of things for all these students, all these schools. So it kind of makes sense, like having a $100,000 threshold and having to go and get approval every single time just to buy things for these students is kind of a lot. So I do agree here. And what I will say is that he has come with a lot of ideas since he's been here. Some of them are a little questionable, but I will say he is making huge efforts to make a change in the district, which I am happy to see. Interesting. Now, here's what's going to happen, right? The Mm -hmm. administration is, as you mentioned, trying to increase that threshold to $2 million. But 
you know, they're upfront about their spending and they have to disclose where they're buying stuff from so you can track what's happening. But I, I'm with you. Like, this looks like a good thing that, hey, if the students need Chromebooks and we need them fast, mm-hmm. let's just increase this so we can buy all these things, the technology that these students need mm-hmm. to stay up to date and to be able to learn with all the apps that are out there. And I'll tell you right now, having a daughter in elementary school there's a lot of apps that they have to use and they have to have the technology because a lot of it is done digitally now. So Mm -hmm. that is huge. Yeah, I agree because a lot of the problems that are between like schools is usually that people are put at a disadvantage from not having the technology they need. They aren't Mm -hmm. keeping up with the times and like we're in a world that is basically fueled by technology. So if you don't have it, of course you're going to be at a disadvantage. So I think this is a good idea. I don't know what else he plans on spending the money on and like how often he plans on using this budget, but I do see the thought process here. Yeah. And one last thing on this story, again, school starts August 28th for HISD. And, you know, it's going to be probably a couple of months before we see the returns on all of these changes. So either if you're for these changes or on the fence or against it, you're going to be validated here pretty soon about like, are these bad changes? Are they good changes? And the only thing that I hope with all of this is that when we see some of the results, and again, the first couple of months, you'll see some of it, but it really will take a school year that whatever side you're on, you're open to addressing what's happening and saying that, yes, mm-hmm. it worked or it didn't work. So that's going to be big as well. Agreed. Okay. My big story so far, we talked about this on Friday, how a jury ruled in favor of Food Not Bombs in the first case. Mm-hmm. And we have another update now because the city of Houston announced that they will be refiling dismissed cases. There were eight of them so far after HPD failed to show up in court. Mm-hmm. Now, things are getting really contentious with the city releasing a statement saying the city of Houston intends to vigorously pursue violations of its ordinance relating to feeding of the homeless. It is a health and safety issue for the protection of Houston residents. There have been complaints and incidents regarding the congregation of the homeless around the library, even during off hours. Now, Mayor Turner is not backing down. Neither is Food Not Bombs. Their attorney has said that there have been no issues. There have been no cases. There have been no citations of the homeless population causing any kind of issue. So things are getting crazy. Food Not Bombs, as we've talked to Nick Cooper, who is a volunteer there, they are not backing down. And we see it already. They are showing up in court. They are going to pay the fines if they have to. They're going to pay the fees that come with going to court. They are not backing down. The city is now doubling down on this, and they are not backing down either. I think we're in for a really, really contentious next month, Carly. Yeah, I do too. I'm like, I'm waiting to see how this turns out because I do understand both sides. I understand making people comfortable and, you know, not using people's land without permission. I mean, it makes sense. But I also Mm -hmm. understand just going out and volunteering and try to make sure someone has a meal that night. It's just like such a touchy subject. And I just kind of hate that it all has to come to court and comes to all of this and that people are being fined over this. But the first win was something that I was happy to see. I was happy to see that he got off. He didn't have to do anything extra for that. But there's so much more to come. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, You know, Food Not Bombs, again, as I mentioned, they're not backing down. But I just hope both sides can come to an agreement and figure Mm -hmm. this out. Because at the end of the day, this is a positive thing for society, right? You're providing meals for a section of the population that does not have that access. And Food Not Bombs is going in with the right 
mindset, but mm-hmm. I think they're them not backing down is not helping in all of this as well. So, you know, maybe they can figure out a mutual location that isn't, in Food Not Bombs' opinion, a place where the homeless population feels threatened, mm-hmm. but like you have to work with the city here a little bit, right? Yeah. Or they're going to continue fighting this. So we'll see. I think it's just a, it's a story that has caught so many headlines now and it's just going to get bigger and it could get a little ugly now with both sides being so public about their opinions on what's happening. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see the mayor and people on city council get in a room with the people from Food Not Bombs and actually have a conversation. I think that this yep. is something that they really could work out by just really having a conversation from both sides. And I think that they could resolve it there instead of in court. But we'll see. We'll see. All right. So because we have so many stories to talk about, Carly, I've got a little rapid fire section for you. I want to get your thoughts on this. Okay. The first story Bun B released a statement saying that people are making fake Trill Burger profiles on delivery app services and scamming people. Like customers are actually showing up going, uh, here, I'm here to pick up my Uber Eats order or my DoorDash order or whatever it is. Well, the problem is a company does not partner with the delivery apps yet. Now they are working on it and they will be in the future. Is this the wildest scam you've seen? I didn't even know it was possible you can make a fake restaurant account to scam people on these apps. You should see my face right now. I'm in shock because what? <laughs> like, I didn't even know people could get on the app and just like put their self in just to be like, oh, yeah, I'm a restaurant. Like, what? Yeah. Like, that's like sick. <laughs> like, what is happening here? Why are these companies allowing this? Isn't there some kind of verification process? You yeah. are a multi-billion dollar company. You can't have somebody just call and confirm that, hey, yeah, is this Trill Burgers really creating this? And that's the part there. Like Bun B said on his Instagram, they're working with these companies. So somebody knows that, hey, we are in talks right now. And I think the reason it's taking so long is because the actual restaurant rush is so crazy that Mm -hmm. they probably don't have the manpower to create, you know, to go orders yet. So you're working with them and yet you're still allowing fake profiles to pop up and customers are getting scammed. Scammers always stay on top of the game. They I just, I just want to throw that out there. They do. They're one step ahead. They I did not are. think we'd be talking about a Trill Burger scam. <laughs> exactly. That is crazy. Scammers are really like, they've gotten so smart. They are always one step ahead and it's kind of scary. Mm. You have to watch out. Hold your purses, everybody. <laughs> yeah, watch your purses and don't order smash burgers on apps right now because you just don't know. Like, yeah. I'm afraid to use apps now. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, my next story for you, we've already known that the oil industry and the ship channel is such a huge part of our city, but we're making a huge push to become the largest port importing cargo with the new expansion of the Port of Houston called Wharf 6. This $91 million expansion will help bring in more business and growth for the Port of Houston. Now, here's the wild fact. Of the entire nation, 7% of all container handling tonnage is done at the port. So think about how many things are being imported here through our city and then being sent to the rest of the nation. Of course, you think about the big ports in New York, New Jersey, LA, and so many other places. The best part about all this, there's also a $1 billion expansion of the ship channel so bigger ships can come in and even more cargo can come in and more business and more industry will be done right here in the city of Houston and our surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. Carly, did you know that we were this big in the port game? No. 
I did not know it, but I got an idea whenever we went to the rodeo a couple months ago with the CityCast team. We ran into a couple and we were talking to them about CityCast and everything. And they work for the port. And they were telling Mm. us about how they wanted us to do a show over the port because they're like, it's just such an interesting history. But on top of that, like how much money they make there. She was like, most jobs in that poor area make like $100,000 a year. And I was like, wow. what? She was like, yeah. She was like, there's so many opportunities here and so many people don't know about it. And I was like, yeah, because I had no clue that you could make this much money on a ship channel. But I mean, it does make sense. You're doing a huge mm-hmm. service to import and export things out of the city. So yeah, mind blowing. Yeah. Like when you go to Galveston, you see those huge oil tankers out there and and you do see the cargo ships every once in a while. But I always thought like the Port of Houston was just in the oil game. I didn't know Mm -hmm. it was in the cargo game as well. Right. So with this new expansion, it's just going to take it to the next level. And I'm so excited to see more industry come here through the city of Houston Mm -hmm. and our surrounding areas. I sound like Evan Mint. So (laughs) you know what? That's the the Evan rub right there. I know Evan's listening. Okay. My next one, this is by far the like funniest one to me. When I say Texas Pete hot sauce, what state do you think it's made in? Um, Texas. Of okay. Course. <laughs> well, you'd be wrong because a man is suing the company that makes Texas Pete hot sauce. The company's name is T.W. Garner Food Company mm-hmm. for misleading advertising. And a judge actually dismissed the company's attempt to get the class action lawsuit thrown out after the North Carolina company said the hot sauce is in reference to Texas, North Carolina, which is an actual town there. What are we doing here, Carly? (laughs) And does this bother you as a Texan that there's a North Carolina company culturally appropriating hot sauce after Texas Pete? I mean, kind of, yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird. First of all, I didn't know there was a Texas, North Carolina. That that does not even sound right. Yeah, your name. The hey, there's a that. Paris, Texas, right? Well, yeah, you're right. There is a Paris, Texas. So, okay, okay, I'm I'm gonna stop there. But yeah. that is a little <laughs> intense. Like, first of all, what? Like, I think it is misleading. I feel like he might win that lawsuit, but they do have a point if there is a place called Texas, North Carolina. But I I don't know. That's kind of as a Texan, I feel like hot sauce is one of our things. So mm-hmm. I think that they did come with the intent to make it like oh. Let me trick these people. They now we this. look Texas. We we do have some good spicy food. Now mm-hmm. I will counter your point. Think about the hot sauce you use. We use Louisiana, Louisiana. hot sauce. Oh yeah, Tabasco. That's not a Texas thing, right? Okay. So as much as we are like spicy food hub, and we love the spiciness, it's coming from other states. I'm kind of like, whatever, who cares if they're using something called Texas Pete? Like, what are we doing (laughs) wasting our dollars in court and having a judge rule on this? And this will, this is going to become a class action lawsuit. Come on. Like, who cares? You know, like, I mean, it's a a hot sauce. I don't think he actually cares. I think it's more so like, this is a lawsuit that he feels like he can win. You know, like, there's a lot of people that have been doing this, like, oh, this is misleading. Like, I've seen, like, a lawsuit recently where there was, like, um, a fight advertised on a TV show. I forgot the name. Anyway. But there was a fight advertised on the TV show for before it came out. Someone bought a streaming service because they wanted to see that specific fight on the TV mm. show. And so then he did a lawsuit because they didn't, they pulled that fight out of the actual episodes. Like, it never happened on the show. So he 
suit them. But I'm like, okay, it's really an opportunity. You spent like probably $5.99 to get that streaming yeah. service and you're trying to get a million dollars from it. But I understand. <laughs> I understand the moral side of this, right? Like, uh, hey, you told me we're going to get something. We're going to get mm-hmm. this fight and we didn't get it. Like, I want my money back, which I'm sure the company would gladly refund it to you. Mm-hmm. But just the ethics and morality of this is like, no, I'm fighting this. The justice in this, I will prevail. <laughs> exactly. And this guy here has too much free time to sue a company because of a hot sauce called Texas Pete. And not even the branding, <laughs> if you've ever seen the Texas Pete hot sauce, there's like a cowboy on there with a lasso. Oh. So it's very Texas. Come on, who cares if it's made in North Carolina? Come on. <laughs> I guess Come he on. cares. <laughs> I guess he cares. We're gonna good luck, sir. <laughs> okay. I want to end this with a gripe, uh, something that's been bothering you or you want to bring a little bit more attention to, Carly. What do you have for us? Okay, so Texas A&M reaches $1 million settlement with black journalism professor. This was the headline. And The reason that I have a gripe about this, I will explain at the end, but let's just get some details from the whole situation, right? So Texas A&M, they were hiring a woman named Kathleen McElroy, who happens to be my former journalism director from UT. And I will say like she was a wonderful director, very involved, very loving, very caring of the students and very encouraging. Like she's a great journalist. I have nothing but great things to say about her while I had her at UT. Well, she was getting hired at AM, which is actually her alma mater. And she's a former editor for the New York Times and all these great things. I mean, she's amazing. I think her father's actually also a journalist. And um, she got a big demotion, basically, in her contract because they found out that she was doing a bunch of work with diversity and inclusion in the newsroom. So they took a demotion into her contract um, after they had people come in and actually like complain about her being hired. Like former and current students were complaining about this. They actually like wrote in and sent emails to the president of the university. Her name is Katherine Banks. She actually went and told faculty that she didn't have anything to do with the demotion that happened with McElroy. But she did. It was a lie. So she actually resigned from the school Mm. after this. The president resigned from the school. Like, this is this is how crazy this is. But a lot of this has to do with the ban on DEI that's happening. Um, And a lot of people were mostly upset because they said, why would you be bringing in a person who is a proponent for DEI and hiring her into the school to run the journalism program? So that was like the main thing that they were upset about. My gripe with this is she is a black woman and I don't understand why there is a problem with her as a journalist who is a person of color to promote diversity. Like, it's sad that they are missing out on such a wonderful woman because, like I said, I've been underneath her um, as a journalism student and she was amazing. So why would you miss out on a great opportunity to have someone to come in and teach people just because of diversity and inclusion? We need that. That is important in journalism. That is our job to spread the stories of everyone. And it's just crazy to me that they did this. Yeah. Now, the next layer of this story, the Chronicle published some documents from the internal investigation that was conducted to review the failed attempt, as you just laid out. Mm -hmm. And some board members were texting to each other. And you can read this entire thing with the link in our show notes. 
Uh, one board member said, we're going to start a journalism department to get high quality conservative Aggie students into the mm. journalism world to help direct our message. Oh, wow. The message ended with, this won't happen with this type of hire. So there were so many different factors playing into this and it was just a fumbling of hiring practices about where are the political slash education relationships playing into this mm -hmm. and it is just a mess but I i'm glad that you know she did get that settlement yeah. and she got her one million dollars because they fumbled it yeah that's what made me happy about hearing the story is that at least she did get a settlement and then also like there was some form of justice the president like literally left her job after this but mm -hmm. it's just kind of sad and telling of what they have going on at A&M for people to not even like have freedom of speech almost. Like it's as simple as that. If you can't yeah. as a journalist express things that are true, it's not like she's producing false statements or producing false work. She's digging into this, doing the work on it to just show other people everything that they need to know. So the fact that they are doing this just kind of like is really disheartening to me. I mean, I've always, you know, I'm a UT student, like, you know, Longhorns till I die. So I've always had a, like a thing against Anum anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> this just made it worse. Cause why yeah. would you do this to this woman? And she's an alumni yeah, from them. She? Like she yeah, obviously loves y'all. Yeah. She's yeah, leaving she UT. She's willing to leave a really good job to come revive your journalism department, teach your students about mm -hmm. looking at both sides. Right. So not yes. just one side that you might agree with, like really teaching them to be good journalists because you have to have uncomfortable conversations and you have to get good at looking at both sides. So mm -hmm. man, it, I mean, good for her. She got that settlement and you know, Shame on Texas A&M. They missed out on a great hire. Yeah, because UT is one of the top journalism schools in the U.S. So, yeah, she was leaving a job that's amazing to come to mm -hmm. A&M, which I'm not going to say they're not amazing. They're a great school as well. But it's just like, yeah, very disheartening because at the end of the day, just like you said, journalism is about showing both sides. We never want to be biased or one-sided as journalists because you're supposed to tell the whole story. That is what our job is. So hopefully they learn a lesson from this. Mine sticks with journalism and our friend at Houston Landing, writer Bria Lumpkins, has a really important story about the wealth disparity in Fort Bend mm. and how residents are now being forced into homelessness because of how fast Fort Bend is expanding and developers are buying up affordable housing, tearing it down, then raising the rent and basically pushing out residents who cannot live there anymore. The average rent in Fort Bend right now is $1,500, while the average house where you could find starter homes before for around 300000 it is $400,000, Carly. Ooh. Fort Bend, yes. It, look, Fort Bend, we've always been known as a wealthier county. I live here. I've lived here for a long time. But it is a challenging time right now for a lot of residents. Now, according to the most recent comprehensive housing affordable strategy from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, more than 17,000 of Fort Bend's nearly 238,000 households are at risk of becoming homeless because they make less than 30% of the county's median income of $102,000. Think about that. That is so scary. And I know this is happening in other counties as well, but Fort Bend is just a place that, you know, you think about all the 
rich neighborhoods, right? Sugarland, mm-hmm. Katy. And then you think about what's happening in Rosenberg and Richmond, where a lot of residents have found comfortable living and they can live in Fort Bend, but now even they're being pushed out. And this is just a scary time. And I hope this story sheds more light and brings more awareness to what's happening and city officials can do more because there really isn't much being done to combat homelessness. Yeah, it's actually just so sad to hear a story like this because it's just getting more and more expensive just to survive. The thing is, like, Houston's known for being one of those places that you come to because rent is cheaper and it's more affordable here than other places. So the fact that we're getting all these um, different little pockets of Houston that are turning unaffordable is kind of like, yikes, like what's going to happen in the upcoming years? Is it going to just become a whole Houston thing everywhere where there's basically nowhere to live if you don't make $100,000? That's going to be terrible. Yeah. The one thing about the suburbs is you always moved out to the suburbs because you could always find affordable housing, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's away from the city. So you would have to drive in more and that's kind of the trade-off there. Mm -hmm. So you do always have that, right? But now even that is gone. It's so expensive to live in the city Mm -hmm. and it's expensive to live out of the city. So eventually we're just going to be all living in Sealy, right? Because that's the (laughs) only, like you're going to have to be an hour away from the city to really have affordable housing, which yeah. It sounds terrible, but that's what's happening. The, everything is expanding so far out, and that's the only place to find affordable solutions. So I really hope something is done. Me too. Carly, thank you so much. That's a great way to get us going here early in the week. I hope we educated y'all. And again, all of the stories we talked about are in our show notes. If we left something out, please send us a message. We want to know what we left out so we can talk about it as well and bring more light to stories that have happened in such a short amount of time, right? It's always changing. So please send us a message. All that information is in our show notes. Carly, thank you so much. Thank you. See y'all later. That was producer Carly on Jones. Before we go, a couple of updates regarding Travis Scott and the Astral World tragedy. Scott and Live Nation reached a settlement with a family whose 14-year-old son, John Hilgert, passed away at the concert. This is the third family that they've reached a settlement with, and there's still a lot of lawsuits going on. Also, in the HPD report regarding the tragedy, it was disclosed that Scott would get $4.5 million from Apple Music at the conclusion of his performance at the Astral World Festival. Now, Scott spokesperson Stephanie Rawlings-Blake told CBS Morning that Scott had no power to end the show because only the executive producer and the concert producer could end the show. That will do it for today. And don't forget, our food episodes that you love hearing on Tuesdays will now publish on Wednesday. So we got you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. I'm putting my three, two, one. I heard that little. Yeah. (laughs) That was funny. That's okay. Here we go. Three, two, one.